Hi guys, thank you for listening to our podcast Doing Death where I, Amanda Blaney, talk to people about death, dying, life and love and what can be learned from death so that we can embrace a happier, more fulfilling life. In this episode we talk to my wonderful friend, creative producer and agent Sam Rudd about her parents' death when she was a child and how this gave her the tools to deal later on with her ex-partner's death, the father of her three boys. She was very clear that she didn't want his death to define who they were and how they would subsequently live their own life. So thank you so much, Sam, for joining me today. And I'm really looking forward to this podcast. Um, I know you've had a lot of experiences with death and I wanted to talk to you about about those deaths and how that played a part in your life what effect it's had on you and then we'll just see where that goes really great well thanks for asking Amanda. Oh, I'm really happy to be able to try and share some of my experiences yeah. so someone else can benefit well hopefully I mean you know this conversation could go on for hours couldn't it absolutely because <laughs> there's a lot of death yes there's a lot of death that's right but, um, so do you want to start with because I, I mean I obviously I know you so I know about when you've talked about your mum. So do you want to, I mean, and I, I wanted to, I know there's been a lot of death in your life and I wanted to, to sort of talk about that and also pinpoint the ones that have have been really, you know, sure. had a massive effect on you. Sure. So I probably, um, if I just kind of give you a brief, yeah. you know, explanation of where death has come into my life and, you know, what happened and things. So um, I, my mother died when I was five. Uh, she committed suicide um, we were then brought up by a number of different people. Um, my father then got ill and after prolonged illness and a failed um, kidney transplant. He died when I was 15. Wow. Um, my next encounter with death was um, I was at that point living with my, when I was 18, I was living with my grandparents. My grandfather died when I was in the house. Yeah. So that was a very different type of experience. Um, I've had a number of friends that have died for various reasons. Um, all of them very sudden. Um, one friend that died after um, a couple of years of fighting cancer, very sadly. Um, and then more recently, um, um, I had my, one of my best friend, pretty much where well, he died, he committed suicide closely followed by um, my long-term partner and father of my children who died um, very suddenly of a drugs overdose. Um, that was three years ago. That was three it? years yeah. ago, exactly. Um, and then throughout this time, you know, there's just been a lot of, you know, lots of family that have died. Um, yes, lots of friends. Um, so it's something that I've lived with for yeah, I was gonna say, it's a still very standing. long time. I'm still standing. <laughs> and I've actually had quite a lot of people saying, we can't believe you're I still can't alive. Believe you're still, yeah. just, but, you know, yeah. Well, so. that's just a testament to how strong you are, I think, as well, you know. Um, so your mum so was your first experience of death. And yeah. did, you, did you know that she had died? Because sometimes in that time I mean that was what 45 years ago around that yes exactly five years ago I'm my age now Amanda <laughs> <laughs> come on uh yes no exactly it was no People... we I don't remember I mean bearing in mind I was only five yeah um I remember being in the house when she died okay. um there were other members of the family but I certainly don't remember being told she had died so you would where, where were you you were we were living uh, were, you, were you downstairs and what room was she? She must have been in her bedroom. Okay. 
Um, so me and my two brothers were there. My grandparents were there. My paternal grandparents were there. Wow. Um, and I remember the day, well, I remember the ambulance coming, but I, we definitely weren't told anything. No. We were, we were then shortly afterwards for a number of weeks, I've recently found out, passed around to different local friends. And then we had almost a year of being moved around to different family members. Um, and did they t- when did they tell you that she Well, died? I'm not sure they ever really directly said, you know, your mother's not alive. I remember um, sitting with my mother's parents um, and we were given some presents and told that they were from um, my mother. And she, I don't really remember. It, it was never a direct thing. Because you were so small, weren't you? Yeah, I don't think we went to the funeral. Um, and my father wasn't around for a year because he got ill after she died. And I really don't recall being told where he was either. No. Um, so this particular, this experience as quite a young child has had a huge impact on how I've subsequently kind of viewed how to handle circumstances in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. the fact that so much was held back from you. People yeah. didn't talk to you about it or no. tell you or sit you down and, no. and you didn't go to the funeral? I don't remember going to the funeral. No. I have a memory of standing in a church with no one there holding my father's hand. I'm not sure whether that's actually a memory or a dream that I've remembered. Wow. Um because, as I said, my father wasn't around. No. He was in hospital. He was very ill. Was that just after she died? Yes, Literally. for a year. So we didn't really see him for a year. So there was no real explanation of very much. Um, and there was there was certainly, you know, nothing like kind of bereavement counselling. No. Or we weren't, you know, no one really talked about it. And again, it's difficult to remember, really, because we were so little. little. You know, my brothers were three and 18 months. So I imagine it was probably very challenging for everyone. And I've now come to understand there were probably absolutely no provisions or anything in place, you know, because it happened so suddenly. And they wouldn't have known how to deal with it. No. And I think, you know, it was a different so time. Yeah. yeah. And I said, I wasn't told how she died until I was 17. I had a couple of years after my father died. I had a couple of years of trying to, you know, wondering, oh, I wonder how she died and eventually had to ask someone. And I asked my mother's sister, who told me, and then I she she said I um, I don't think your brothers need to know, which you know then was astounding, and it, it now is it's utterly. What? Well, how did you astounding. respond to that? Even. Um, I don't really remember. I think you know my family's circumstances were very very complicated. complicated. I wasn't surprised. That she had perhaps suggested that this it wasn't you know they didn't need to know just because of the the way that the family chose to operate. Um, I probably just shut. I just probably you know any kind of pain or anger or whatever. I just would have probably just removed myself from it and kind of held it somewhere. It's a coping in my body. mechanism, isn't yes, it? Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. So you know times were very different then. You know I think things have changed. I hope things have changed and moved on, and people are a lot more willing to be open um, and understand that um, in these circumstances, people actually need to talk. Yeah, they do. And I think, you know, people underestimate how children feel at death and, and their understanding of death, actually, yeah. you know, just to, to communicate them. That's how yeah. they learn. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're, you're, if someone had sat down to you and said, even as small as you were, look, yeah. you know, mum's died, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. 
you know, we're all here. We will yeah. talk about it as much as we can yeah. and keep, you know, keep that dialogue open. And maybe yeah. you think your dealing with it would be very different. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was, because there was nothing like that, there was nothing to give myself and my brothers any kind of security whatsoever. No. Um, you know, I grew up with a very insecure sense and perception of the world, mm. um, that the world wasn't supportive, um, that um you know not trusting what's going to happen you know so you kind of you know because things happen very suddenly um and even my father's death um was actually sudden in the end even though he'd been ill for uh, eight years or something he then went to have a transplant and of course the word transplant gives a sense of hope um and there are a couple of times that he nearly died in the in the period before he actually died which kind of destabilized everything um but then he died very very suddenly you know, the trauma of this sudden death, and I suppose maybe no one explained the possibility of what might happen if the if the um, transplant might not work. work, you know, and there were no provisions at all for what would happen if he died. So it kind of enforced this insecurity in yeah, a way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it would. It's so unsettling as a child, isn't it? Because what you need is that secure base. Yeah. And if those parents one of them's died and the other one's in a very unstable yeah. situation so my, my 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 headmistress i was at boarding school at the time my headmistress told me she had died the literally the first thought was, was where is i'm going to live because my of stepmother course, yeah. i didn't get on with her very well she wasn't a particularly nice person no um you know so yes it's been very you know now with kind of my present situation it's been very very important for me to kind of deal with things in a very particular way yes in order to allow my children to feel secure yeah that's really yeah. important to you isn't it yeah really yeah yeah and how how do you think because your mum your mum's death is a massive it's a massive factor in your life I mean do you have any memories of her when you were below that age of five do you remember anything? No, not really. Birth? It's such a young age, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I could... No, not really. No. I've got one memory of her telling me off because I wasn't eating a boiled egg, but <laughs> I'm sure all of us have got memories of our mothers yeah. telling us off for not eating boiled eggs. Ah, uh, no, not really. And my... I think probably I'd shut off a lot of stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of my childhood I don't really remember, remember. to be honest. Well, my mum's mum died when she was a baby, mm. that she was nine months old. And my mum always said to me... I don't know how to be a mother. And I thought yeah. that was quite sad, actually, when she told me yeah. that. So I guess in a way, because you can't remember a lot of that time before her. Oh, yes. I mean, there was no blueprint. I've not got a mum. Really. No. I mean, I think that I hadn't really kind of thought of it like that until I was pregnant with my first child. Um, and I was... I realised that I needed a bit more support than perhaps I could get from the local hospital. So yes. I chose to go to a particular hospital. Well, it was private effectively, but it wasn't like your usual. It was much more natural. And I only saw the consultant twice. But the first time I saw him fairly on in the pre pregnancy, I'd had to fill in a form of family history. And the, the, th the first thing, the only thing he pretty much said was, you haven't had a very good experience with mothers, have you? No. And I said, well, no, I haven't. And part of this um, package was that they had a family counsellor. And I had sessions with her um, every week until Ned's birth. And 
no, she didn't tell me how to be a mother, but she helped me process a lot of the things that I potentially wasn't even aware at that point mm. of the anxiety. So, you know, of um, not having this blueprint yeah, um, and knowledge. But actually what it made me realise is that um, I think we actually, we do know. I think well, we do yeah. know. I yeah. think if we just trust ourselves a bit, just because, and, you know, not everyone's got the perfect mother. And, you know, and actually certainly from my point of view, um, in my 20s, I certainly decided I didn't want to be a mother because mm. I was conscious that I might pass on. What kind of mother could you be? Exactly, you know, mm. perhaps some of the negative um, traits of my mother or, you know, learnt behaviour from my stepmother. So, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Alex's death and we'll explain yes. who Alex is? So Alex, um, I met Alex shortly, about a year after his mother had died. Um, he had been traveling for a couple of years. He was the youngest of three children and he was the apple of his mother's eye Aww. and she absolutely adored him. And he was due to go meet his sister. He was in India at the time, due to meet his sister um, in somewhere in India, I don't know, Goa, I think. Um, and he had got a message when he arrived where he was meant to meet her from the consulate. And um, he'd been told that she was, she'd had a routine operation, but she was actually very, very ill. Oh. In fact, he realised that she had probably died um, and had to fly, He's, uh, you know, but was being told that she, you know, hadn't died just to kind of keep him together yeah anyway he got on the plane and she had died so oh. so I met Alex about a year on mm. from this time and Alex was um a very very sensitive person um and I'm not really sure he ever processed her death in any effective way other mm. than going out partying doing Numbing things it. that numbing it basically yeah. doing things that just would get him through um which at the time i think that was probably just the way well, that's you know say. in your 20s yeah. that's what people that's what did and i probably was doing exactly the same yeah. thing but just several years down the line you know um you know just doing what 20 year olds do um anyway we were together for 18 years or so um unfortunately he had he was an addict um and was he an addict before his mum died or no, after, do you think? I, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think based on childhood experiences, I think he, I know he'd make, made various decisions that perhaps led him down that route. Mm. His father was an alcoholic, um, uh, you know, propensity to it, yeah. um, challenging childhood. The father wasn't around as mm. a child. He was very bright, but had had never really had any kind of educational support and was told he wasn't very clever. Mm. Um, which which has an enormous effect, yeah. doesn't it? Just Yeah. Mm. So Alex, um, you know, initially was kind of in and out of trying to deal with his demons, so to speak, then was pretty successful shortly after our first chat, very successful of actually kind of refocusing and really being the stepping into himself and being yeah. nearly the person that he could be. I don't think he ever realised quite what he could be. No. Uh, which is such a shame. Um, and he died, um, or he died about a year after my very, very close friend had died. Um, very, very suddenly he kind of decided to start taking drugs again mm. and within a couple of days had died. 
Um, so it was very, very traumatic. Um, it was very traumatic for the children because it was such a sudden Tragic, thing. And yeah, tragic, tragic yeah. Um, incident. You know, my li the Josh, the youngest, was five. Noah was eight, only just eight, and Ned was ten. They were very, very young. Um, and I think my immediate, when I was told, my I literally thought it was a joke. I couldn't believe that with all the things that I'd gone through... In your life. In my life, but also particularly I'd lost parents so young <sighs> that it, it, history was repeating. Um, and, the, yeah, the first few hours, you know... Trying to process that information. Yeah, and working out, right, you know, what's the best thing? How do I need to handle <sighs> this for them? How, what's the best thing to do? Um, we had to be in the cinema watching yes. something when I was actually told. Um, so I let them watch the end of the film whilst I was trying to work out what was the best thing to do. Um, While trying to process that information for yeah, yourself. Yeah, exactly. Well. Which I, I, it, was, it was so difficult to kind of process. And um, I just said to the boys, look, Oh, do you want me to talk about? It? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I just said to the boys when the film finished, "Look, I've got something very, very important to tell you." Um, Ned, the uh, the ten year olds knew something had, was wrong. Did you do this in the hat? The no, house I took them home. No, so we were in the cinema in the local town. I didn't want to tell them in the house because I felt it was really important that the house was our space. Mm. And I certainly didn't want them to constantly be having memories of this thing. In the kitchen so, or in yeah. the... Yeah, uh, yeah. So I took them to um, this very, very large oak tree that wasn't even in our garden. It was actually in a field that's very near the house. Um, we weren't actually allowed in the field, but um, I kind of thought, right, we'll go here. It was this one massive oak tree in this field on its own. And um, I sat them down. The oak tree was very, very big, so they all could sit on the seat. And I, um, I told them... And I, I actually said to them at the time, you know, you know, I'm, I'm probably the best parent um, you could have chosen because I know what it means. Yes, yes. Um, sorry. But in a way, I think that's true. I think you were absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, I mean, they, they actually... I can't remember who it was. I think it was Josh, the little one. He was five. He just said, is this a joke? Mm. And I, I remember saying that when the person that told me it was my, um, you know, I just couldn't. Because it's just unbelievable. You know, yeah. yeah. So, but it was, I think it was a very good decision to take them to this place. I do. I because, do. you know, the tree became, it became known as daddy's tree, not in a bad way, um, but it was a place that I went to kind of contemplate. Mm. Um I certainly know that the, my eldest went would go and sit there. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and it became a place. It became a kind of place of sanctuary, actually, and quite symbolic. Yeah, exactly. He, like, I, he was a gardener, wasn't he? Yes, as well? exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think it was really a good decision not to do it in a place that would have daily associations. Yeah, that's really clever um, because, of course, it's so important to kind of have daily reminders. Um, but not the moment of being told that your father's done. It felt, it, it, I think the way I'd been told, it, you know, I still, I'm, I can still picture in my head the day that I was told in my, you know, my headmistress's office, how, you know, oh, my father dad. died. I mean, there was we'll no, never forget that. No, moment. I, no, 
And they'll never forget this, you know, yeah. likewise, they'll never forget yeah. that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that kind of particular um, moment was, was yeah, hard. was important. It was very, very hard, hard but um, it was important to get it right. And so different to your experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you did good. Yeah. Well, yes, I suppose so. I I mean, I, you know, to have that thought process very quickly as well, to go and do that without just taking it in the, in the house and saying, right, blah, 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 blah. You know, you literally did yeah. it in a very considered way and, you know, gentle, gentle yeah. way. Yeah. So, yeah, gosh. And yeah. so uh, did did they see Alex? What, did they body? see his body? Yeah. No, they didn't. Um, I... So quite quickly after it happened, I got in contact with a local um, bereavement charity to get some advice. Mm. Um, was it children specific or? Yes, it was yeah. children specific, families and children specific. Um, it was a Oxfordshire based mm. um, bereavement charity called Seesaw who ended up being brilliant. And actually um, stuff that they said reinforced what I was already doing. So I was already on the right path. But I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing a trick yeah. in my own grief. Yeah. Um, and the lady, which has happened, the, our kind of contact person was actually the person that ran it at the time. You know, she explained that different families have different attitudes. Um, I did think long and hard about allowing them to see him or not and decided it was probably best for them not to see mm. him because, again, I didn't want his mem the memory of him... To be that memory of the Be the memory time. of him. Yeah. You know, yeah. having... I've, I'd have seen a dead body, you know, dead body before, and the person's not really there, no, and I didn't no. really feel it was the right thing for them to remember, yeah. and particularly not yeah. with a five-year-old. I felt it just wasn't... You know, and it, it didn't. It didn't need. You know, I think some people um, perceive the seeing of the, you know, seeing the dead body as a um, perhaps a kind of confirmation of reality, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it just it didn't feel necessary to do that. No, and I guess the funeral afterwards, which I'm going to ask you about in a minute, because yeah. because I, I thought that was really clever and amazing, actually, how you dealt with that and the boys, even though it was a really hard day. But yeah. um, I think that also was part I know we talked about it previously and you were saying you know that the funeral you felt was a really important part of their acceptance that he wasn't yeah. there anymore yeah and you know if you want I, I was going to ask about the coughing because I thought that was amazing what uh, you did yeah. and what they did and how sweet that was at the funeral yeah well the coffin um that came so the idea of getting I don't know whether what they're called whether it's an eco coffin or an environmental coffin but that actually came from Alex's family Alex's sister yeah so they they were handling the organized most of the organization of the funeral um and she said we're thinking of um well we are we're going to get this particular coffin we've decided uh made out of cardboard we've decided to go for white so that um her children, Megan and William, so Alex's um, niece and nephew, could decorate it with yes. the boys like to as well. And actually it evolved rather beautifully in a way, you yeah. know, so they, um, obviously the body was not in the coffin, it was an empty coffin. Yes. <laughs> it was basically <laughs> effectively a big box. Yeah. Um, and maybe in a way that was less scary because I, I, I find that yes. the, the actual brown coffins, the big wooden coffins, I find oh, yeah, them no. quite 
I guess because you're so used to seeing them in the yeah. media and films. And yeah. There's always this like, here comes the coffin. Whereas yeah. with a cardboard box, it's like a cardboard box, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And so, the kid, yeah. they, they like cardboard boxes as well. It's like, you know, it's well, a bit no, tot- threatening. Totally. Yeah. I mean, at one point, when they were decorating it, one of the children got in. A bit like, <laughs> I was just about to say that. Oh, really? They love getting into cardboard boxes. <laughs> I mean, it well, obviously it was in the shape of a coffin, but it was a bit like, <laughs> okay, um, this is a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, you know, um, the they went over one afternoon and they took, you know, they all did their own thing and oh. I decorated it. And I think there was... Um, there was something rather beautiful about did, the process. Yeah, was it like a, a did it feel ri- like a ritual to you, like a sort of therapeutic process doing that? I or? think so. Yes, I mm. think there was something. I mean, I le- I dropped them off, I think, to start it, and then came back, and I was quite astounded when I came back to, you know, they were just focusing on colouring and drawing something and some of the things that they they decided they wanted to put on there. Yes. Um, yes, I think it was very cathartic, calming um, occupation for them to do. To feel involved, yeah. I think, was very important. Um, you know, because of course there has to be a formality of some sort with a funeral, um, and it was it was them playing a part in the process um, that they could very much feel you know capable of doing. Yeah, um, and I certainly remember my father's funeral. Um, my brother, who was 11 at the time... So you went to your father's funeral? I didn't go to his cremation. I went to a big service before the cremation. Okay. My brother was made to sing a solo in front oh, of... God. Just what you want to do. <laughs> Four, five hundred oh people. God. Why I did mean, they do at, that? Well, he had a beautiful voice. He could have been a chorister. <sighs> but it's just... But I... I'd, I, I can't even talk about it. I just no. don't understand why, why when that? an 11 year old's just been oh, orphaned, Jesus. why you would do that. So, I mean, just it's just beyond comprehension. Um, so going back to Alex's funeral, um, it felt a very nurturing way for them to work yeah, with their... Yeah, definitely. Or to, ...to kind of be with their cousins and really do something beautiful or funny or whatever it was, you know. Um, I mean, Ned, the eldest... You know, he'd written Alex's name, Alex, you know, and then written a word next to each letter. So I think it was amazing, loving, extreme, hmm. and extraordinary or something. I can't remember what the yeah, third. Beautiful. Yeah, You know, and I he was that, really yeah. pleased with, you know, he's really pleased with what he'd come up with. Yeah. And Josh did something else, you know. So, no, it was, um, it was good. Yeah, it was a really good idea. Actually. And helping accept them for, you know, what is. What were people's reactions yes. and were they able to talk to you about it, about his death, you know, or was it more saying, you know, I'm really sorry. Did anyone ever say I'm really sorry? Or I'm just very interested in how people react. Yeah, no, because I think this is, yeah. Everyone reacts differently. Mm. Um, what it seemed, seems still to me that people, a lot of people are not comfortable with talking about death. They are not comfortable perceiving that they're going to upset you. Yeah. They're not, yeah. people are not comfortable being open themselves anyway. No. People are not comfortable um, necessarily um, expressing their own emotion because they're fearful of, they might start crying and then have yeah. an impact on. Um, so, yeah, was, true, you know, true. but then there are a lot of people who are very loving. And I think probably the, a com- uh, what I would say is that the people that you, I perhaps were closest to, I thought perhaps would be there 
didn't tend to understand or didn't say the right things or didn't know what, didn't know you know, what, what to say. do or yeah. to say. And then other people that perhaps I didn't even know very well would say absolutely the right thing. It's funny, isn't it? Or, um, and it knew exactly what I needed at the time. What and was that? What did you need at the time, do you think? I think I just needed to know that people um, had a, how, how can I put this? That people, what I really needed was people to be normal. Yeah. Um, because yes. of the circumstances with two deaths so close to each other, some of my quite close friends, I actually genuinely think they just didn't know what to say. So as a result, they stayed away. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, just, more I needed people to be nice to me. Yeah. I needed people to be soft to me. I needed people to be give practical help. Yeah. Um, in terms of, I don't mean, I'm just, I'm not saying this is what happened necessarily, but you know, people bringing around food mm. or just doing doing stuff. Yeah, or um, even offering to take the boys somewhere. Well, the or... taking of the boys thing—that's an interesting thing because I actually, I actually felt like we needed to stay together yeah, as a unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I never, um, I never found them exhausting or a burden more comforting yeah and so I felt that it was quite important that we stayed together as a unit so in fact one of the things that um did happen quite a lot people say oh we'll take the boys but it was something that actually you didn't want that well it wasn't I was I wasn't anti it but it just it 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 wasn't in the framework of how we needed to live we needed to kind of stay together and it wasn't in a kind of controlling way it was just in a it, we were working together as a team. We were working through it together. Mm. Um, and there needed to be some continuity. And, of course, I was remembering my childhood and no one being there for me. Mm. And I I f- needed to feel, I suppose, for myself, but I believed that they needed continuity and didn't need shipping off to different no, places no, to give me a break exactly. because I it, that's not what I needed and I didn't feel that's what no. they needed. Um so, yeah, people were very, very different. You know, I learned to um, be quite accepting of inadequacies, actually, what I, my perceived inadequacy, you mm. know, how I perceived it. Um, sometimes it made me a bit angry <laughs> because yeah. um, I didn't really understand why people could not understand their lack of words or their other words, you know, and I, that's probably normal, just, mm. you know... I mean, I didn't get, I didn't get too angry. I didn't get that angry, but it was just, it's it was frustrating, a, isn't it? It because was a little bit of a frustration, but also just not understanding why people couldn't just be open. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, further down the line, I kind of understand that, you know, I've lived with death. I've known yes. death. I've yes. faced death on so many occasions mm. and so many people haven't that it was a kind of new territory for them. Yes. Well, I was listening to something on the way here and they were saying that, and, and obviously, I've read it in lots of places that when when we when there was the World War Two and World War One, yeah. we very much had experiences of death. Mm. But now we don't. We're not, obviously we're not living in a war. We don't have something like the yeah. plague or something. So people don't have, and people are living longer. Yeah. So people don't have as much experience with death. Yeah. So you don't have to. You know, they don't have to then look at it. Mm. But I think the thing is, what happens is then when it does happen, it's a it's a shock because you don't know what to do. Yeah, you don't know how to deal with it. You yeah. don't know what to say. There's it's it's like a vicious cycle in a way. So it's like you're saying, you know, I think that's really interesting because you've had so much death in your life. Yeah, you absolutely know 
what you should say and what you should do. And I'm, I bet if someone very close to you lost someone, you'd know exactly what to do. Well, possibly, in a way. I, I think as well, it's just even going back, you know, thinking about the kind of world wars, I think humanity from 50 or 60 years ago to now and people's consciousness and perception and openness and, and desire to actually voice an emotion, especially mm. in England, I think probably we are the product of a whole traumatised nation yeah. in a way who were very English, stiff upper lip, you didn't talk about yeah, that. Yeah, that's what exactly You know, happened, so yeah. this is self-propagating. And now, certainly in the Western world, it's more appropriate to be open and express your emotions yeah. and talk about feelings, even if it is a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and I think... Um, Death is still one of those things, though, isn't it, that... People still don't want to necessarily address. No, and I... And uh, I gave a talk earlier this week, and that, that's exactly what we were talking mm. about, that people talk about everything else in great detail. But when it comes to death, it's really hard for people to know how to approach that subject. But yeah. when, when, they, when they do, it's like, a, it, yeah. it's like a floodgate. It all comes out. Yeah. And people really actually do want to talk about death once you get them going. Yeah. And... It just goes to show that, that that we really need to do it and we really need to understand how we deal with each other in, that, in those moments. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's really difficult. So I was going to ask you about, um, it's been three years yeah. since Alex has died. And obviously there's this thing, isn't there, when people die, however they do it, if they're uncomfortable or if they're comfortable, there's like a barrage of help, isn't there, initially? Yeah. And then... Did you find that sort of tapered off in the, yeah. in the in the forthcoming year? And how did you find that? And what do you do now to support the boys as well? Yeah, so, you know, initially, yes, of course, there's a kind of flurry around you of people kind of being there. Um, and yes, like you just said, it does, it does taper off. And then there's the kind of cold reality mm. of... I mean, it's the process, you know, the process of grief. Um, it's the process, certainly being a single parent... Um, with no provisions um, mm. and actually suddenly trying to work out from a practical point you know there's the practicality yes. of how you manage your time with three children um, and survive and survive and that goes on to kind of putting food on the table how me as a single mother has had I've had to deal with the responsibility um, of being on my own um, as a parent I, tr I think probably, I probably haven't been aware of this, but I think this is how I've worked it out. You know, look, I've compartmentalised the different sections that I needed to address. So okay. there's the practicality, the living day-to-day -day yeah. things. How can I make this work so that um, it works for me and the boys get what they need? Um, and I, that includes putting food on the Just table, being a mother, getting to school know, and a, being a mum so that yeah. they're not missing out on things because that there's now only one parent in yeah. the house i've chosen to see it from a um there's also the emotional point of view you know what i need to do to kind of get them through each each phase i suppose and each each child has needed different things at different mm. times partly because of their age yeah and their personality and their personality and you know what's been going on just on the day-to-day -day kind of you know um you know, in our day-to-day -day lives. So, for example, um, the two elder boys both ended up having counselling through the school. Okay. 
which was brilliant. You know, did they offer you that, or did you have to go and find out about it? Um, I think it was probably offered if I needed it, and then by complete coincidence. Uh, one of the schools, I think I'd had an email saying there is this counsellor and then Alex died. So I was like, oh, okay, well, there's the counsellor. Um, and then, you know, so each, you know, the school, just liaising, I think it was very important to actually um, be in close contact with the school to, so that they were aware yeah, of what yeah. was going on at home. So then the school could almost be the, the second pair of eyes, so yeah. to speak. Um and then I felt it was quite important that there was a kind of, I'm sorry, you're loath to use the word spiritual side, but a side just looking at the whole essence of life and death yeah. and what that meant to them as human beings, not even as, as children, but how that could be incorporated into their life and their understanding and their acceptance of fact. You know, um, this kind of, you know, it is fact that we will, all of us will die. The very fact that we've been born, we will all die. Yeah. And I felt it was very important to, not in a kind of traumatic or negative way, but to slightly address this in a kind of soft level that was appropriate to them, mm. to just to kind of open up a conversation in their head and with them about just to kind of give a bigger picture, yeah. so to speak. That did allow me, in a way, to um, create an environment of... When we look up at the stars, daddy's a star. Yes. Um, those kind of conversations, which I felt were actually quite important mm. to give, not make it magical, but to give it something of an essence of life. Yeah. You know, incorporating us as a, as beings or as something within the universe, and he was part of the universe still. Yeah. So all these elements. Um, I kind of address through it. different ways. You know, over the last few years. The first year, I don't really remember. I don't. Who knows what was going on? I don't know. I got ill in that time, <laughs> well, that's so I, had to, thing, I yeah. had to deal with yeah. that. Um, the second year, what was the personality of the second year? The second year, uh, it became very much about practicalities and finance, and has been very, very, very difficult. Mm. Um, however, and then the third year is a continuation of that, but it slightly feels like. The puzzle is being put back together again. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm quite mindful of the fact that the first year was very much about the emotions, me addressing my emotions, the boys, me addressing the boys' emotions. And despite the kind of the difficult financial difficulties because of my focus in that way yeah. to yeah. do with work. I absolutely know that 100% that was the best way of doing it because totally. if I hadn't addressed all of our emotional needs at the time that we, uh, at that point when he died, I, well, I mean, time will tell, we'll see. Um, what I didn't want to happen is, which is what exactly what happened to me is that the, the boys suppressed yeah. Yeah. things yeah. and didn't have the chance to explain or shout or rant or scream. As I said, it's possible that they may need to go into counselling again. I mean, we hit teenage but you, years. But the fact is, I've already started the dialogue exactly. with them. There is a regular dialogue Good. with them about... So, for example, if they've done something really, really well at school or wherever, I might say, well, Daddy is very, will be, is very, would have yes. been very proud yeah. of you. That's good. Um, they've all got pictures of Alex by their beds. Mm. Um, there are pictures around the house. Um, I do need to kind of um, 
change these pictures actually to kind of keep it kind of alive. Yes. Um, I when they when they've done something that I absolutely know Alex would have disapproved of or not liked and have known his reaction, I will say that. Yes. Because I think it's important that he has a presence. Like and they know his values. Yes, what his exactly, values exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, if they have, if I notice traits, whether it's in their humour, something they might be interested in, I will refer to him um, and say, oh, daddy was interested in this. Or, you know, um, I will, if I have a memory of something that we did that they weren't around for, I will share that. And I think there's just, you know, I think it's important to... And I don't really like keep a memory alive. Keep that person alive. I think that's the main. It's actually made me feel really emotional because I I just feel that um, I think that's amazing. It's like you were saying. Some people believe in life after death. Some people don't believe in life after death. We all have different opinions, yeah. but in a way, by doing that and having that dialogue, it's keeping him alive. So it's like yeah. saying you've still got we've still got a relationship with him. Yeah. And as you're growing up. You're sort of reminding them how they're similar to him or what things he would have been proud of, what things he would, didn't like, what things, yeah. you know. And so they're getting to know him as they grow up. And yeah, definitely. As they make achievements. Like, yeah. That's so clever. Yeah. Well, I just... I've made you cry now. <laughs> See, this is what <laughs> Thanks, I do. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, because a lot of people have said, oh, you know, they're to your credit. But it's just like, well, it takes two people to make a human being. Yes, it does. I, I think it's really important to them to know the traits that they've got. For, you know, it's... You know, a lot of a lot of traits that Alex and I have actually very similar. There are a lot of huge amounts of dissimilarities <laughs> as well, but that's normal. And that's negative and positive yes, traits exactly, as well, isn't exactly. it? And I'm also very mindful of, and I'm only beginning to now talk about this, certainly with the elder two, is actually allowing them to see him as a human being and see him with his flaws as well as his qualities. Because, yeah, that's so you important. know, his death, was traumatic. He made some wrong decisions, um, and that decision th that decision cost him his life, yes. basically. And so, from quite early on, you know, I've been trying to teach them the consequences of the decisions you make. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it's you know, besides that, I think it's very important for them to understand. You know, they can't necessarily always see him in, with rose tinted glasses because, because we're not. Perfect, are we? No, he wasn't perfect, no. but I'm not perfect either. No. So nor me. You know, <laughs> sometimes well, I like to think I am. <laughs> but you know, I think it's really important. Just because yeah. someone's not here, you know, I think it's really there should there needs to be some kind of reality, you know, a balanced reality. So he wasn't on a pedestal. We haven't put Daddy on a pedestal. No, he exactly. wasn't this amazing being that you have to strive but to he, be like that. No, actually, no, he was a human with faults and. But he was very loving, well. he was very exactly. kind, and look, you're loving and kind. All these characteristics are coming out, um, you know, and I can see those. I mean, even now, they'll come out with your comment. And I'll say, oh, my God, I could so hear Alex saying yes. that. And I'll say that. So, Dad, gosh, Daddy would have said that. That's so funny. <laughs> or Daddy would have laughed like about that, you know. And I think I think just keeping it kind of real. Keeping his memory and keep, alive and keeping yeah, him alive. exactly. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking. And I, I that's a really nice way to end, actually, because yeah. I think that's I think that's the most important thing, isn't it? It's like how you keep that person's memory alive in a real in a real way. Yeah. Where it's not a fantastical way yeah. of them looking at their dad. You know, they're seeing him as a human, like we all are, with our imperfections. Yeah. And 
That's continuing to live life comp- it's complex. For, the, for the with the best intentions and embracing life as much as we can because we're here. Yes. And we can. And that's things are as they are, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, Amanda. Okay. Good to talk to you. And you. And if you would like to donate or have a look at either of the charities that helped Sam after her partner's death, you can go to www.seesaw.org.uk That's www.seesaw.org.uk or www.oxfordcruise.co.uk And if you liked this podcast, please go on to iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast and review us and star us so that other people can find us and have a listen. Thank you.